Uh, we're going to finish up chapter 8 of Nehemiah this morning, and that means for you, uh, get that passage in front of you, uh, in, uh, in your Bible or uh, app, whatever it might be, right? And, and as you're doing so, let me just remind you, so far in this chapter, we have learned that thousands uh, upon thousands of Israelite men, women, and children have gathered in this open plaza near the water gate, or inside the water gate of Jerusalem, <clears throat> and Ezra and the other priests have been reading and explaining the Torah, the first five books of, of the Bible, of God's word, uh, and the people's hearts are convicted and they have, they have grieved for their, their sin and, and they have wept. And you remember last week we're seeing Ezra saying, right, the, uh, saying on the authority of God's word, he's calling them, you stop grieving today because this is a holy day, today set apart to the Lord, and instead you're going to rejoice in the Lord and his mercy and his faithfulness and the way that he always provides uh, for you. Uh, and so fun fact here actually is this, that in God's providence, the Feast of Booths, uh, which is what we're going to be learning about today, the Feast of Booths actually is happening today. Today is the first day of this, uh, this, this Jewish feast, and, and it's starting today, it goes until next Sunday, uh, and so Jewish people around the globe are actually doing the very things we're going to be learning about uh, in this passage here in a bit. Now, let's go ahead and, and read. We're going to start in Nehemiah 8, uh, verse 13 this morning. And because my, some days my eyes are older than other days. Is that, is that what I have to look forward to as I age more? Yes, okay, wonderful. Anyway, they feel old today, so I'm putting these on so I can read better. <clears throat> verse 13. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the word, words of the law. And they found it, found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written." And so the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and the square at the, the gate of Ephraim. Uh, and all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and they lived in booths for, uh, for from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, uh, to the day that the people of Israel had not, uh, not done, done so. And there was a great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. <clears throat> Abba, Father, enlighten our minds. Open our hearts. For these words that we have just read are your words. Preserved for your people to shape and inform us more and more into your likeness. May we learn to yield our lives to this, your word. Be with me today in the, in the preaching of, of your word, that it would be a, a means of grace to your people and, and to those who yet need to know Christ. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so on the day... After Ezra's six-hour sermon, right, they've had a lot of, of teaching already on that day, but the day following that, uh, we read this, that the heads of the father's houses, they go and they find Ezra, 
<clears throat> and, and notice that he's listed here, not primarily as a priest, is he, but as a, a scribe. And, and that's part of why they go find him, right? They go find him because he physically possesses a copy of the Word of God, where sometimes we forget how profound that is, that we want to know what's in God's Word. They had to go find the guy who actually had a copy of God's Word, and they do that. Um, he's also a man who is, is gifted by the Lord for teaching them uh, the Scriptures, he studied it his life, and, and so that's where they go. And, and so this group, right, and the group's called, right, the, the heads of the father's houses. It's, it's not every husband, it's not every father, but, but rather um, they would have been titled that as a, as a larger group, over a, a larger group, a clan or a tribe or something of that nature. And, and so what we're seeing here is, is really just a, a small group that is, is suited better for deeper study. You might even say that they, uh, they ask Ezra to lead a Bible study for these men as they come together. And, and, and certainly as they would have gotten together in this study, they, they would have listened to, to the word and, and to what Ezra had to say. Um, they, they would have asked questions. They would have considered, you know, how do we actually apply this? Or how do we live out the things that we're actually learning here? What is God calling us to in this word? And, and, and remember, this, this is new for them from what we've seen so far. <clears throat> this, this seeking God's word is new for them uh, they haven't always sought to hear what God has to say in his, in his word. They haven't always sought to know and obey the Lord in that way. And, and yet this is the work that the God, God's doing in them. This is, this is wonderful. That's part of the amazing thing God's doing here. Now, now, they come into this very ignorant of God's word. Because they haven't studied it much. They haven't sat under the preaching of it and teaching of it, the, uh, of it very much. And, and yet they are so incredibly hungry to earn more and, or learn more. And that's what's motivating them here. Now, I tell you, from time to time, I'll kind of let you know, it's, you know, my mom. Um, <clears throat> she doesn't walk with the Lord. She lives down in Houston, and uh, she was recently, praise the Lord, invited to a Bible study by one of her neighbors that hosted in her house, um, th this neighbor, and, and she's going, and, and she's been really interested in it, uh, but she's telling me last week that she's so nervous, and she's telling me, because dad, I don't, I mean, not dad, she didn't call me dad, uh, you know, she's telling me, Brian, I don't, I don't understand so much of what they're saying. I don't understand. I don't know very much about this stuff, and, and I'm kind of afraid to do anything. So, right, she, she tells me, they're going to think I'm dumb, and so I don't want to ask any questions when I'm over there. And I, I told her something like, you know, Mom, the only dumb thing is, is not asking the questions so you can actually learn in, in this moment. Uh, just because you're afraid of looking dumb, it doesn't mean you just sit there silently. And, and I told her, I promise you, like, Mom, they want you to ask questions. They want you to learn this stuff. They are love for you to come hungry, wanting to learn this stuff uh, and, and encourage in that way. And I want you to know the same thing. If you're here and you're in that same boat, you're like, I don't, I don't know anything about the Bible. Okay, this is the place to be, right? Going to the small groups, that, that's a place to be. The uh, various studies where you have opportunity to ask these questions to people, ask the question. It's better that you learn uh, than to sit back thinking you want to convince people that you know everything already and not ask these questions. Anyway, um, so in our passage, then, the, the idea here is that the heads of the father's houses, they are going to learn all this stuff from Ezra, and, and it's not just going to stay there. They're actually going to go back home, and, and they're going to teach it to the other people that weren't, weren't here with them, teach it to their families, and, and all that they, they learn and what it means they should actually do. They're going to go put it into actual practice. And, and, and I think it's important that we notice that because if, if we're honest, we're not real good at that in our era right now. Uh, we, we, we tend to, and, and I'll say this, like my, myself included, I, I see it in myself, because how often do you come back from, from hearing a sermon or, you know, when I go to, to RUF and I sit under John's teaching, preaching, right, or a Bible study or whatever it might be, how often do you come back and you tell your spouse, look at the, here's what we are learning today and how great and how I think we need to make these changes, uh, or your roommate or, or, you know, whatever, whoever, the things you learn. How often do we actually do that? So too often we, we find that we are the end in the line in, in whatever teaching is, is going on. 
It just terminates with us. That's the end of it, right? Too, too often we are, we are buckets where the knowledge of God's word just settles silently instead of pipes that, that pass along what, what we learn onto others. I, I need to get better at this, and I, I know that. Like, I see this and I understand that um, as, a, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, we, we all honestly need to improve at sharing what we are learning in God's word for a couple of reasons, right? One, for the good of others, that they are going to learn things. And, and two, for our own good, because you know anytime you've ever had to give a presentation on anything, one, you probably hate it, it's miserable, right? Um, but you also learn stuff in a way that you never really learn it if you just consider yourself the, the end of the line in, in learning information. And so I encourage you to do that. I, I also... Uh, do want to mention this. We have these discussion questions. The small groups are using them. We also put them on the website every week. And so if you're not having small group that week or you just want to get ahead and do this, like use these questions. They are, they are for you and your family to ask this question. Ask your spouse this question. And go, go try some of these out and see what it does. And that's just to make that whole process of, of taking the learning and, and pushing it along a, a lot easier and to, to deepen it as you begin to wrestle with these things a little further. Um, so then they, they, they sit with Ezra and they study God's word and they actually discover something uh, that they didn't know or something that they had not realized, something that had kind of just been forgotten over the years. <clears throat> and what they discover is not that there's this feast of booths that they're supposed to celebrate, um, right, or as it's sometimes called the feast of, uh, of tabernacles, right? They already know that that exists, but, but they learn how it's to properly be celebrated. There's something about this that they haven't been doing. And... and, and Right? This, this happens two weeks. They're, they're discovering this two weeks before when, when the actual Feast of Booths is going to occur. So if we want to put it on our Gregorian calendar, because we don't think through the Jewish calendar real well, uh, two weeks ago. So they're learning this on what's the equivalent to us as, as September 25th, two weeks ago. And, and the closeness to that date kind of makes you wonder, right, is, is, did Ezra lead them to that passage on purpose? Right? This is something coming up, something God's called us to. He knows the word so well. Is he like, let's study this passage or, or not? I don't know. We don't know. You can ask him, right? When, when, uh, when, when you get to the life to come and you're in eternity, right? Go ask Ezra, was this what was going on? It probably is not top of your list of questions, but you can ask him that. Uh, so anyway, this passage uh, that they must have studied that morning is, it, it, without a doubt, Leviticus 23 is one of the passages they studied, and probably Deuteronomy 16 as well, based on some of the things they end up doing after this. Now, I'm just going to read a little portion of 23, but um, verses 20, or 42 and 43 of Leviticus 23, I should just say it all together, it'll be easier, right? Leviticus 23, 42 through 43. All right, here's what it says. <clears throat> you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths. That your generation may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so they are realizing here, they read this, right? And they're realizing, you know what? We don't do that. They're thinking, I have never gone out and dwelled in a booth. That's never been anything we've ever done, right? You're right there. They've never bothered to go and tell the, the next generation about all the things that God has done. And they're realizing and he calls us to do that, and we haven't done that. Now, I probably should have by this point mentioned this, right? But, but the word booths, do you even know what I'm talking about when I say that? Tabernacles, Jim knows, uh, right? It, here's what it means. It's tents. That's what it means. Now, the downside to this is don't think like the tents you go by at Academy with the princess on the outside or something like that. Uh, it's more like a fort. If you were to go home and, and go out in your yard and find some big branches and, and set them up together against something right and, and leafy plants and maybe, a, maybe go find a blanket that mom's not going to want you using for this, 
That kind of fort is, is what they're really building, if you want to get your image on what, what these tents look like. And, and they built these booths just outside their homes. They had to do it in fields. If, if they were in the city, they would do it out in the streets. Um, and, and the whole feast, this, this whole practice, is this extended family affair, right? Uh, people rested from work, all of them together. They, they ate good food from, from the recent harvest. And, and kind of, you wonder about that, right? They're eating dates and grapes and olives. And you might be, I don't want that, uh, right? But these would have been wonderful foods that they were enjoying. Uh, they would have been drinking wine and sharing store, stories and, and expressing gratitude to the Lord for his goodness, for his faithfulness to them as, as a people, uh, both, both to them personally and also throughout the generations. And that's the thing we don't do well, right? They're saying, look what he's done for us as God's people throughout, throughout the ages. The way he, he led them out of the wilderness, all these different things, right? And, and that's one of the main ones, this commemorating those 40 years in the desert where they had no, no permanent home, where they had no solid roof over the head their head. Now th- this practice of seven days living in, in tents, this was a, a tangible uh, sense engaging experience for them and, and that helped them to really learn and, and understand these things and learn about that, that time of wandering in the wilderness that, that their ancestors actually went through in, in, in Egypt. It, it helped them to remember listen, this is where we've come from this is where we were and so they could better under, appreciate and understand Look where God's brought us. Look what he's done. Look how he's sustained us as a people all these years. It is so good to look back and to remember where, where we began as well. Right? In all aspects of your life, but, but particularly in, in just thinking through your, your spiritual history. Right? What, what has the God done? What has he brought you through? You can look at church history or your family history, right? Uh, look what he's done for the church after all these years. Once you were brought into the covenant, it, it, it all becomes your history too. And I don't know that we embrace that as well as we should. Like when we read these stories, that's, that's your history now as the people of God. That looking back, we, we can see God's you know, sustaining love through his sustaining provision. And, and like I, I told you, this, the, this celebration of the Feast of Booths, it, it's beginning right now in, in real time. Now, now understand this, this is the, the, the ceremonial law, it's, it's fulfilled in Christ. You as a Christian are not required to do this, but you're certainly welcome to. You, you could actually go home today and make a fort with branches and leaves and, and live in your, your yard all, all week long until next Sunday. You, you can enjoy festive foods and go share these stories, their stories, right? Speak of God's faithfulness to his people. Your, your kids would absolutely love this, I have no doubt about that. Um, if you go built a fort and lived in it this week, your body probably would not love it quite as much. Uh, now, I, I think I've shared this before, so I'll make it quick. But uh, in, in college, I used to do this thing that I called John the Baptist Day. This is not some, like, Christian thing that anyone's supposed to do. Uh, but I took a tent, and I went, and I set it up in this park near Texas A&M. And I just lived outside for that, like, school week. I'd go to class, but I'd come back to my tent. Um, and and it really, a big part of it was just a time to unplug from the Internet. Because this was an era when you literally needed a plug for the internet to work, and even then it wasn't real good. Um, I'd sit out there, and I'd read scripture, and I'd write in a journal, I'd, I'd read these um, John Piper sermons that I'd printed out on the, on the school's printers for free. Um, it's weird, I understand that, I'm very aware of that today. I didn't know how weird it was back then. Uh, but here's the thing, it was incredibly refreshing to kind of step out of normal life, to find that rest, to be so un- unplugged, from so many other things in life. 
And I, I think back to, and I think in a, in a little way, right, I, I imagine this week for Israel was incredibly refreshing for them as well. When they just kind of let go of all the day-to-day stresses that they, they had to worry about and, and came together. And let's, let's share food together. Let's, let's share these stories. Let's remember the, the goodness of God to us. I, I expect these, these children really cherish these memories in Deuteronomy, they, they also learned that God commanded them not just to go through the motions of this, right? Here's, your, here's our dumb fort, let's get in it, you know, kind of, but, but, but this whole thing is to be actually practiced in joy. They're to rejoice. They're, they're also to invite the wider community into this. It's not just something they do on their own. L- listen to, to Deuteronomy 16, 14. You shall rejoice in your feast. You hear that? He's commanding them to rejoice in the feast, not just to do it, but to rejoice in it. Uh, And he goes on, you and your son and your daughter, your male servants and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. They they were to be generous and welcoming. They they were to invite others into this story of of, of God's redemption. Let us tell you about the, the glorious history of our God and all he's done for us. Just like you and I are, are, are called to invite others into the work of redemption that is accomplished by Jesus. And so then Robert Brown, or Raymond Brown rather, uh, helpfully points out that there's three themes which the Feast of Tabernacles, the, the Feast of Booths, directs God's people towards. Uh, here are the three things. Thanksgiving for the past, uh, witness for the present, and, and confidence in the future. In regards to their giving thanks for the past, Brown says this. Uh, sovereignly, God had guided them. Generously, he had fed them, and powerfully, he had protected them. Such abundant evidence of mercy must never be forgotten. In, in our day, with the, the daily stresses of life, as, as Americans, we are often um, so focused. We are often just so obsessed with what we need God, what we want God to do for us now, right, next, that, that often we actually forget to, to remember all that God has already done for us, all that we currently have, all that we should be grateful to the Lord for. I'm 44 years old, so you youngins, right? Your, your eyes are going to go around 44, I guess. Uh, I'm 44 years old. I live in a, stain, a sin-stained world that is filled with crime, with weird animals that can eat you, with disease and, and speeding cars. There are about 8 trillion different ways to die in this world, and, and yet the Lord has preserved, preserved my life thus far. That's worthy of my gratitude. Christian, your life is overflowing in the mercy of God to you. Overflowing in the provision, his providing for you. His giving you faith in Jesus, a family, friends, the intelligence, a covenant family. Giving you eyes and ears. I could go on like this forever, right? Ad nauseum. Uh, but, but to the point, is, is your life also overflowing in thankfulness and gratitude to the Lord? Does it look anything like the reality of what we're receiving from his hand? So some find keeping a, a gratitude prayer journal helpful. Maybe that would be helpful for you if you struggle in that area. Helps you to force you to do it, to look back and to see that. Now, now the feast was also a, a witness to the present time. Any non-Jewish merchants or travelers would, would come into town. They'd see this strange pe- practice going on. These people are living in their streets, right? Of, of grown adults living in forts outside. And they begin to ask these questions. So what, what is all this? What's going on here, right? What, what a fantastic 
teaching, for sharing the greatness of the Lord. Uh, what a fantastic way to, to draw people in to begin to ask these questions. And unfortunately, we don't have a practice that's this, uh, that stands out quite this much today, do we? Because you know, right, if, if, if you went home today and you really built a, a fort in your front yard and, and then you lived in it this week, your, your, your curious neighbors would, would come and begin to ask, so what's going on here? Do you have bugs in the house? Like, what's, why are you out here, right? And I'd love for one of you to actually do this. Uh, I tried to see if Beckham wanted to do it yesterday. He was not okay with sleeping outside last night like this. But I'd, I'd love for you to do it just so I could hear the conversations that, that arose, right? What kind of questions your, your neighbors ask besides the homeowners association coming after you maybe, right? And, and, and maybe you're, you're thinking, right, we, we do have Advent, we do have Christmas and Good Friday and Easter, but uh, I'll say this, right, those aren't prescribed to us in, in scriptures that, like the feast were here for God's people. In this week's discussion questions, uh, I've included one that actually starts a conversation on, on these days that are on the church calendar, the Advent and, and Easter and such. But for, for now, I, I want to mention just one day that the Lord has instituted for us to set apart. And I do this all the time. You're probably annoyed at it lately because it keeps coming up, right? But the Lord's Day, the Sabbath, it, it's a day to rest from work, from sports, from school time to, to gather to, together for, for worship. It, it's a time of great gratitude to God. We, we remember, right, all that God has done for us in the gospel. How we honor this day can, can draw the curiosity of the culture around us. And I won't draw specifics for you, right, but, but when you won't skip work for, for, you know, won't skip worship for work or sports or other things like that, it can be really annoying to people. It can be. Uh, but it also says something of your commitment and, and obedience to the Lord in that area. Many recognize this day each week um, by actually inviting others together for a big meal, a, a Sabbath feast. Come on over, let's, let's eat a meal today, together. You know, and, and that way you can invite those who don't know Jesus to feast with you and, and share things around the table you're grateful for or, or what God's teaching you in his word and, and, and so on. We're not great at that, I'm not either. I want to be. To, to really think, how do we actually set this day apart in a way that, that honors the Lord and is good for me in the way that the Lord intends it to be? And, and so then the, the third theme that the feast draws God's people to is this confidence in the future. It reminds them, right, that, that they are journeying, just like, just like Moses and them were journeying through the desert, they are journeying with God each and every day. It reminded them that, that, that all of us even, right, that, that our permanent homes are not here. Your, your homes seem permanent. They're going to last a long time on this planet, right? But it's not your true home. For, for, for they, like us, they're looking forward to, in the words of Hebrews 11.10, right? The city whose designer and builder is God. Reminds us that we have a more permanent home still yet to come that we look forward to. In other words, no matter what's going on, for God's people, the best is, is yet to come. So this brings us to the, the second section today, and the second section is shorter than the first, I promise you that. Uh, now, I, I want to point out how I, I got to these main two points at the beginning for you today, just to help you kind of see the text yourself and, and understand the, the thought here. But if you look at verse 14, you, you see that, that phrase, and, and they found written in the law. Okay, they go to the Word, and they're reading, and they learn something in God's Word, um, how to properly celebrate this God-ordained feast. That's what they learn, and it's going to happen in two weeks' time. That's what they're learning. Um, 
And, and then they go, and they're going to go spread the word to other people. Here's what we learned in God's word. Here's what it's calling us to do. Uh, but it's, you know, not just head knowledge is, is what we see here as we come to the second section. If you look at verse 16, and, and this is pretty profound. It doesn't seem like it when you read it. You're like, oh, it's just a phrase, right? Uh, that phrase, so the people went out, right? And, and what they do, and it begins to list things, and that's the part that makes it hard for us to see kind of the structure here, right? Well, in, in a word, what they go and do is obey. They go and obey the very thing they learned in, in God's word. They, they didn't just study God's word so they could, you know, get on Twitter and slay some fool on a theological argument and walk away feeling pretty good. Their, their purpose in studying God's word was obedience and practice to the Lord. You know, they, they, they've been God's people. That, that's a reality. That's their identity. But, but now they have truly become people of the book. People of the Lord's holy scriptures. Because they're saying, what this says for us, we desire to actually live out. One way their behavior is instructive for you and me is how immediate their obedience is. Right? No, no excuses. No, no questions. They don't say, well, you know, this is two weeks from now. Where are we going to get sticks? Maybe let's just, let's, let's consider it for next year. Let's think about it later. We'll kind of think through it a little further. They just go out and they begin to build these booths. Let's do what the Lord says. I got sticks, right? They go out and it says where? They, they build them on their roofs and the courtyards of their homes and in the temple courts uh, in the plaza near the two different gates they mentioned. And, and two weeks later, they actually go and live in these forts for, for seven days. Right, when I was saying you could go live in your yard for seven days, surely the thought passed your mind like, that would be so miserable. I'm sure they thought this too. The older they were, the more they thought, that sounds like we're going to pass on this. We'll help you build it, and then we'll watch you sleep in it, right? Um, they just go and they do it. That, that's obedience to God's word. And, and sometimes we, we understand this kind of, issue through uh, analogy. Let me, let me do it this way, right? Uh, imagine if a, a mother goes to her daughter and she says, you, you must clean up your room today. Okay? And that evening the mother comes, uh, you know, walking down the hall and looks in there and she just sees it looks like a tornado blew through her daughter's room. Nothing has been cleaned up at all. And, and she goes and she finds her daughter and says, what, what happened? Why, why didn't, did, did you not hear me? Right? And, and the daughter replies, I, I heard you, mom. I did. Look, I, I even took notes. I have notes of what you said to me early. I, I memorized what you said, right? You, you must clean up your room today, right? I memorized it. I have an app that helped me memorize that. And, and in fact, mom, I took it and I put it on vinyl. It's on the wall in the living room so I can read it every time I go by there. And some of my friends, they were talking about getting it tattooed. We were all going to get it tattooed on our wall, right? Uh, you know, you must clean up your room today. And, and, and even at lunch today, Mom, it was so great. We, me and my friends, we were talking about this, and we were debating about this, like, you know, how much of the room actually has to be cleaned up to qualify as cleaned up the room. Uh, and, and we even looked into the Greek, Mom, right? The word for clean, katharos, it, well, it has these nuances, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and you can kind of see, right, these are all the things we do with God's word. And, and yet, you know, her mother just says, right, but you didn't actually clean your room. It's all great stuff, right? All great research, all great study, but it didn't actually lead to any change. So too often we are like the daughter here when it comes to God's commands. We hear them, 
We might even love them. We're intrigued by them. We want to discuss them. We, we want to think about it, right? But, but do we treat them more like good advice and less like an authority to be obeyed? In James 1.22, we are called to be, and I quote, doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You catch that. It's a pretty heavy statement, right? When, when you hear God's word, when I hear God's word and I don't care to actually do it, then I'm deceiving myself. How? Deceiving myself to think I, I care? To think it means something? I don't know, right? I mean, we can go into that in James at some point, right? But, but we're deceiving ourselves. And so then, as I, I've already said, right, because Christ has fulfilled the ceremonial law for us, you're, you're not required to observe the Feast of Booths. You're, you're just, you're not. But, but is there an area of your life where you need to become obedient to God and His Word? Maybe in regards to the Lord's Day. Maybe in regards to honoring of parents. Maybe it's something in regards to, to keeping, you know, regular time in, in the scriptures or how you treat your spouse or um, cheating in, in school on tests when it becomes easy to do so. For, forgiving someone who has, has sinned against you. Maybe it's the, the types of, of movies you, you, you stream or TV shows you stream, right? Because, well, everyone else does. Maybe it's deeper, fighting against pride and self-righteousness justified anger, things of that nature. Whatever the Lord and his word convicts you to do or to stop doing, commit yourself to yield, to obey. And again, not so you can become God's people. Your faith in Christ, that's how you're God's people. It's going to be faithful to you anyway. But we want to be people of the word, people of the book. You know, as Romans 6.17 reveals to us, right, it says... Thanks be to God that you who were once slave to sin, right? That's past. That's who we were before Christ. Have become obedient from the heart. You're no longer a slave to sin. Yeah, you sin. You do. That's a reality. Christ covers your sin for you. But you're not a slave to sin like you once were. So stop, stop living like we're slaves to sin. And so then at the end of verse 17, Nehemiah says, and there was very great rejoicing. Their, their obedience is true obedience, for they do so willingly and with joyful hearts. Right? Some of them probably had to work through that. I hate stupid booths. Let's put this thing up and live in it, right? But we see that at least at some point, they, they, through this obedience, they are, they are filled with joyful hearts. Um, my friend Brad Miller says, it's, it may sound paradoxical to find joy in obeying, but that is the encouragement we find in God's word time and time again. In other words, e even if we don't enter into obedience with joy, and you probably know this from experience, uh, we, we very often find joy in the very process of obeying the Lord. I didn't want to do that, I did that, and the Lord gave me joy through that. Better than all that's when we joyfully obey from the start, but, but just know that the other is true too. And so then the passage ends with more reading of Scripture, you see there in the last verse, 18, right? More learning, more plying. And you might see in the outline that I, I, I added a third point titled Remembering and Resting. Here, here's why I did that, because uh, in this feast, God gives his people something that they don't deserve. 
God, God gives them something that they cannot provide for themselves. They cannot go and make it and find it anywhere else. He, he gives them physical rest from their labor, and he gives them spiritual rest in, in the remembering all that God has done for them. Right? Which sounds weird with the obedience. There's so much rest that he gives us. Even in the obeying of the Lord, how much rest we can find. He, he, he gives them the enjoyment of, of good food, the encouragement of these stories. Like, oh, I love to hear these stories of God's faithfulness. That's why we love stories like, you know, God's smuggler and, and things like that. We, we see the Lord w- working in his people's lives. My, my, my friend Doug explains this as God giving them a reset button. Now here's this feast. and Yeah, I'm calling you to do it. You must do it. But here's why it's so great for you. It's this, it's this reset button. And God does this so his precious people would again learn to orient their lives around the Lord. Around God's love. I mean, how much do we, we need that, right? To reorient our lives around the Lord. And thus to find God's rest in the midst of this frenzied world that we live in. Listen, I know many of you need this sort of rest. And, and you know that. You already know that. Many of you are worn down physically and spiritually. Many of you are discouraged by the lack of spiritual progress in your life in a lot of ways. You're weary. Your bodies and minds, your souls need to recover. And instead of just trying harder, rather than, you know, wilting and guilt, you remember, you need to remember that Jesus is your rest. It's a real thing. In the larger picture of redemptive history, right, this, this feast of booths, this is a, a taste, a foretaste of a, a true Sabbath rest that it's pointing forward to. That, and what I mean is it pointed to the rest that Jesus provides for us in, in his death and his resurrection and your redemption. It points to a, a better rest, to the, to the rest of, of Christ and the gospel. Now listen, in, in your busyness of, of life, in the midst of, of all your, your fears, in the, in the weariness of, of life, you are invited to rest in Jesus. To place your, your faith in the Lord and to sit and to listen to his word and find direction for your life, to find joy in, in, in yielding to his word. His way of life is so different than the one we just assume from our cultural default, right? This endless striving of our culture. You are invited to to renew the covenant with your your God who is ever, ever the faithful one. Listen, God called the Israelites to rest and they did. They did. They actually stop and reorient their lives around the Lord. And that's the part that kind of blows us away. Because what God's asking him to seems so ridiculous on some level. Who cares about the tents? And yet they, they do what God calls them to. You're invited to rest as well. You're invited to do it each and every Lord's Day. But, but will you? That, that's the larger question. Will you actually do it? I know this is kind of the start of a conversation, not the, the end of it, but I encourage you to go forward with that. What does it look like for you to, to take that invitation to rest that the Lord calls us to? And so then the, the last short two bits of application, or more like practices I'd like to see you do are this. First, uh, read the scriptures this week. 
If, if you don't already, right? If you don't know what to read, just go read Philippians or John. Uh, those are good places to start. And, and as you read, if the, if the Holy Spirit convicts you of, of something that you're not doing or something that you are doing and should not be doing, right? Pray, pray for the strength. Commit to obey and, and ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to, uh, for the difficult task of, of actual, willing, joyful obedience to the Lord. And the second thing is this. I, I want you to, to share with someone today about God's faithfulness in the past. <clears throat> and, and for a lot of us, we're thinking, I don't really know how to answer that question. Maybe, maybe in a, an offshoot way. Maybe in regards to God's faithfulness to, to his bride, his church, and you know, church history. You just think about that. Maybe faithfulness to one of your ancestors. You can tell us story of how the Lord worked in the life, but, but, but especially, right, his faithfulness in, in your life in the big and small ways that the Lord has been faithful. In a sense, what I'm saying is, is share, like, your, your spiritual autobiography with a, a friend or a roommate or, or your spouse or a child, right? Kids, today on your way home or at lunch, right, do this for me. Ask your parents to tell you about their journey with the Lord. That sounds like a lot of words. Just say, tell me a story about God in your life. What Pastor Brian was saying today. Whatever that was, do that. The rest of you, right? Just because just there's not kids involved in your family that doesn't get you out of here. The rest of you, ask your spouse, ask your roommate, ask a friend. Ask someone to tell you a story about how the Lord has been faithful and good to you in, in your life. I mean that. So we can get, learn to, to, to do these things. Learn to speak of the goodness of the Lord to us. Okay, let's, let's pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, may we hear your word and not only understand your word, but would you, in the power of the Holy Spirit, would you empower us to keep your word, to acknowledge it as an authority over our lives that is not just to be understood, but to be willingly, joyfully obeyed for your glory and for our good. In other words, Lord, would you make us doers of your word and not hearers only? Give us grace for failure, but give us resolve for obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.